entered into what we call in the church calendar year the time of Advent. And this is actually the beginning of the church year. So often uh, we are oriented, our, our lives are oriented around fiscal years of companies. And it's all about money and how companies operate rather than being oriented around the church calendar year. And the church calendar year basically um, revolves around events in the life of Jesus. And so this is the beginning of the church calendar year. Last week, traditionally in the church calendar, is called Christ the King Sunday or Judgment Sunday. It's the final Sunday of the church year. So now we're in the beginning of the church calendar year, and it's a time of anticipation for the coming of Christ, the first advent. And people waited hundreds and hundreds of years waiting for prophecies to be fulfilled. And I want us to consider how people prepare their hearts for the first coming of Christ so that we can be prepared for the second advent of Christ. For Jesus has promised he's coming again. And we have to live our lives, or should live our lives, in preparation for his second coming. And so we live in that now and the not yet. Christ has already come. So the now, Christ has come, and the not yet, he's coming again. So how are we to live in that in-between time, the now and the not yet? And I think that we will be able to see some very practical things for us to do as we examine how people prepared for that first coming. I think about this, that we are preparing at our house for our family coming in. Um, my mom was just here, but she's not going to come down again for Christmas. She lives up in Toronto, but my kids are coming in. So I got my kids coming from... Um, Texas and from Kentucky and then from California and so there's certain things you do to get your house ready how many of you are getting your house ready for Christmas okay there's certain things you do you bring out certain things and you get rid of certain things so our kids are coming so we want to make sure that we have all the food that they like we also need to get rid of a whole lot of food that isn't getting us ready for Christmas. And so there's certain things you do to get ready. You get rid of certain things and you get other things out. And that's what we need to do in our own spiritual lives as well. So before we look at our text for today, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Amen. The text that we're going to look at is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. Luke, chapter 3. And this is the story of John the Baptist preparing the people for the coming of Christ. And it says there in chapter 3, verse 1 of Luke. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch, of Idurea and Traconitus, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into the country around the Jordan, pre preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare 
the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath of to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Well, don't collect any more than you were required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. And so this is how John the Baptist prepared people for the coming of the Messiah, for the coming of Jesus. And he said that we were to repent, we were to turn away from certain things and turn to God. And so as we look at this text, I want us to do two things. And I spoke about this last year as we entered into Advent. But this year, I wanted to look at this text with a different twist. So the two things I want us to do is, why does John tell people to repent? And the second thing is, why the wilderness? But as we look at this and consider these two things, I want us to focus on the fact that God loves us first. He loves us first. God loves you. And today we lit the candle of love, and we want to focus on the fact God loves you, and he loves you while we are distant from him. Not be, God doesn't love you because you love him. No, he loves you because that's who God is. And God loves all people everywhere at all times. The scriptures tell us that God is not willing for anyone to perish, but everyone to come to salvation in Jesus Christ. And because of God's love for us, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world to be the sacrifice for us, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins so that we can have everlasting life and the forgiveness of sins. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And this love is something that has to be received. And this is foundational to understanding the Christian faith. We don't have to do anything to get God to love us. God loves you. That's just something we receive. It's not, we can't earn his love 
We can't merit his love. We can't get him to love us more, or we can't get him to love us less. But his love is something we receive by faith when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And once we've received God's unconditional love in the person of Jesus Christ, once we've received God's unconditional love, then we can in turn love the way God wants us to love. And the early Christians needed to be reminded of this over and over again. And the Apostle John wrote in a letter called 1 John, it's in chapter 4, he said this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And so why did, God, why did John tell people to repent in preparation for the coming of Christ? Well, repentance means to turn away from something and to turn to something. So we're to turn away from sin and turn to God. So we repent of sin, turn away from it, so that we can then love God with an undivided heart. Turn away from sin, turn to God. And turn to God with our whole beings. And repentance allows us to be ready to see Jesus. We are to repent so our hearts will be ready to serve Jesus. We repent so our hearts will be ready to love Jesus. And we repent so our hearts will be ready to receive Jesus. The people asked John, give us some practical things to do. We're supposed to repent, so we're supposed to turn away from things. So what are we to do? And he said, basically, do acts of love. If you have two shirts and you see someone with none, give one away. Same with food. If you see someone in need, help them. Do acts of love. Stop doing the wrong and start doing the good. And that is the practical side of repentance. Stop doing things that are wrong, that lead us away from God, and replace them with things that are loving and kind and compassionate. And doing acts of love prepares our hearts to receive Christ, to serve Christ, and to love Christ. So, of course, the question for us to ask ourselves is, what are the things in our lives that we need to stop doing? What are the things we need to repent of that keep us from fully receiving the love of God. And the Apostle Paul wrote to the early churches about this. He, he would write to them and say, you used to live according to the old nature, your old nature, the sinful nature. Stop living that way and start living as new creations in Christ. Repent of the old way of doing things you are now made alive in Christ, so live this way. 
And one specific one I want to read to you is from the letter that he wrote to the church at Colossae. And repentance is something, it's not a one-time thing we redo. We repent each and every day because we're often tempted each and every day to again live according to the way of this world, the patterns of this world, rather than according to the love of God. And so the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature. These are the things of which we need to repent. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. So these are the things of which we are to repent. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. And so he says, you used to live this way. Repent of that. Turn away from that and turn to God. Repent. And how then should we live? He goes on and then we'll say this. Since you are dearly loved children of God, you are all dearly loved children of God. So therefore... Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have any grievances against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And then he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The peace of Christ. When we fully receive God's unconditional love, it brings peace with it. And I, I have to confess, I unfortunately like, I'm a sort of addicted to the drama of our world. I, I watch the news, and instead I think it would be great if I stopped watching the news and just read the scriptures and read the promises of God, because our hope in the future is that Christ is coming again. But what happens is I watch the news and I'm worried about some missile coming over. And so what happens is instead of having peace and love, we're anxious and there's no peace. But it's the promises of God on which we are to focus. And so repentance means to turn away from the sinful, our sinful natures and turn fully to God. So the second thing is, why the wilderness? Now, for those of you who've been to Israel, you'll understand the wilderness. It's basically just a couple miles away from Jerusalem. You go down from 3,400 3, feet elevation change in just a few miles. But if you haven't been, all you have to do is drive from here to Tucson. And as you're driving down and you look out on the side, that is the wilderness. It is very similar. But people were going from Jerusalem out to 
the Jordan River. It's 17 miles if you want to be very specific about it. People would go out. So Jerusalem is a place of life and the Jordan is a place of death. Nothing grows there except if there's a spring of water and that's where the Dead Sea is. And so John is out there. Why is he calling people to prepare people in a place of death to receive life? And it's because we are to die to our sins to receive the new life. And we have to be utterly reliant on God for that new life. So you go to the place of death to die to your sins, to repent, and then receive the life that God wants to give you. And John says, the Messiah is coming, and he is going to give life. And there's an interesting thing right at the end of that Luke text where he says, the Messiah is going to gather the wheat into his barn, and he's going to get rid of the chaff. We are the wheat, and the chaff is the sin that's in our life, and he's going to get rid of it. How does he get rid of it? When he died on the cross for our sins. He sacrificed himself for us as a... He was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And he gets rid of it. That's why we're supposed to repent of it. We are to repent because Jesus is going to take away our sins. And therefore it shouldn't have any control over us anymore. And we are to receive what he's offering. And he's offering you. He's offering me. And he's offering the world his unconditional love. And our text ends and it says that this is good news. This is the greatest news of all. And so the question for us is, of what do we need to repent? And it's probably different for each and every one of you. How do we get rid of certain things so that we can focus and fully receive the love of God? Again, it's not a one-time event. It's something we do each and every day. And unfortunately, I think sometimes we view God not the way, we view Jesus not the way Scripture portrays Him. Unfortunately, we, we, we look at Jesus the way our culture portrays someone else. And that, just a second, I've got to look around here. Okay. Unfortunately, instead of focusing on the person of Christ during Advent, we focus on another person called Santa. And we view Jesus the way we view Santa. Think about what we teach kids. Santa Claus is coming to town. All you have to do is go through that song. Think about that. And you've heard me say this before. You better watch out. That's how the song starts. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not... I'm telling you why. That's really encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list, checking it twice. He's going to find out who's... Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're... He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been... So the reason to be good is be good for... What does that mean? <laughs> so be good for goodness sake. Why? If you're good, you get what? Stuff. If you're bad, you do not. 
And the problem is, we view Jesus that way. We view Jesus, if you're good, and you get rid of the naughty, you're on, do more good than bad, Jesus will love you. And we have viewed Jesus that way. And there couldn't be anything further from the truth in Scripture. God loves you and gives us Jesus as a gift to be received because he loves us, not because we deserve it. And so if you're going to repent of one thing, repent of the worldly view of Jesus rather than the scriptural view of Jesus. Because that will keep us from receiving his love. If you think you have to deserve his love, you're missing the whole point. Remember those words that John said, this God loved us first. And we receive his love, therefore, because we have received his love, we can now love one another. And this leads us right into communion. When we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. At communion, we remember what God did for us in the person of Jesus Christ, sending him as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And in just a few moments, we're going to celebrate communion together, and the bread will be passed, and the cup will be passed. And we're going to pass it, and we're going to do it in silence because I want you to take time to think about what you need to repent of. But as the tray comes, you can't receive it unless your hands are empty. Symbolic of empty yourself. Repent so that you can receive. Repent so you can receive. And you will hear the words, this is my body given for you. Jesus gave himself for you and for me because he loves you. This is a very tangible way in which you know God loves you. Jesus sacrificed himself for you. And here's another thing. Jesus not only loves you, he likes you. Sometimes we have that just so messed up, we're like, well, he has to love us because he's God. No, he loves you. Therefore, because you are loved, we can now love the way God wants us to. And so, friends, this is the joyful feast of the people of God, and money will come from east and west and north and south and sit at the table in the kingdom of God. This is the Lord's table. And so come to this sacred table, not because you must, but because you may. Come not to testify that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love the Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin you stand in constant need of God's mercy and help. Come not to express an opinion, but to seek God's presence and pray for the Spirit. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we do not presume to come to this, your table, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercy. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose nature is always to have mercy and grace and to be loving. And grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the bread and drink the cup that we may evermore dwell in Christ 
and Christ in us. Amen.